VBS meeting next week. See, it says it in my notes and everything, right there. Yeah, so, so on it. Uh, happy Father's Day again to all to whom it applies, especially my dad. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Yeah! Woo! All right. So, yeah. Happy birthday to all the dads, especially mine, I guess. Um, go ahead and, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We have reached the halfway point in the book of 1 Corinthians. There are 16 chapters, last I checked, and we've gone through eight of them. Um, so, I hope you studied for the midterms. They'll be handed out at the end. They are closed note, closed book. Um I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read uh, the first 18 verses of this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We'll read 18 verses and then I'll pray and we'll get into our Bible study here. Okay. Paul writes, he says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Is it oxen God is concerned, concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. But I've used none of these things, nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with the stewardship, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel... I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Jesus, we ask your blessing on our understanding of this already blessed word. Um, we are here confessing that your word is pure and true and is even forever seated in heaven. Um, we're coming to be judged by it, not to judge it. We're coming to receive, not to put our opinions or our thoughts into it. Uh, but as, as we seek to do this, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us, giving us uh, hearts that are, are willing to be instructed, willing to be corrected, willing to be led in, in the, the paths everlasting, Lord. 
Um, I pray that you would anoint the preaching of your word today and let the result of the preaching of the gospel be that we treasure the gospel more, that we love it more, that we appreciate it more. Um, I pray that uh, we would see that that your gospel, Jesus, is of supreme worth. And as Paul writes about any sort of laying down of rights or sacrificing something that he wants, it's, it's a little sacrifice. Every sacrifice we could make is a small sacrifice because you are worth it, Lord. You are worthy of all we have to give. So now we give you our time, we give you our attention, our affections, and ask you to shape us into the image of Christ. Amen. 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 So 1 Corinthians 9, as... You've probably noticed, if you've been with us for um, any, any part of uh, 1 Corinthians, you've noticed a major theme of Corinthians is this idea of serving others, even if this costs you a great deal. Um, you could also call this love, if you wanted to save time. Uh, and I'll tell you the not-so-secret secret. This isn't just about 1 Corinthians, actually. This is living the life of Christ. It's all about considering others as better than yourself. 1 Corinthians is about laying down your rights, your preferences, your privileges, even your giftings, in order to love others well. And what we see with Paul is that he treasured the gospel. He held the gospel in such high esteem that the sacrifices that he made, the laying down of his own rights, all of this to him was worth it. It was worth it. And, and as we walk through this passage, I want to cultivate the willingness, of course, that Paul had. I want to grow in the grace that can enable me to obey the things Paul is saying, to love others well no matter the cost. But what's more is I want each of us to come to the realization that there, there is no right or privilege that we could cling to that would in any way come close to the riches of the gospel that we can gain when we let go of those things. Uh, to lay down one for the treasure of the other is a really good deal. It's just a really good deal. The point of this chapter is similar to the ones that, that came before it. Paul is talking about self-sacrifice for the sake of loving others well. Just like he told two people, you know, a few months ago, a few chapters ago, he, he told uh, these two guys in, in the church in Corinth that were suing each other. They were taking each other to court, actually. He says, you know, you, would, you should rather let yourself be cheated. That would be better. That would be worth it, actually, for what you would gain if you could humble yourself to that extent. Just like he told the single people a couple chapters ago, he says, maybe don't get married, even though you could, you have a right to, but maybe don't so that you can serve the Lord without distraction, at least for this season in your life. And just like he told the people who were exercising their right to eat uh, a certain thing, they were, they were exercising their right to eat meat sold in the marketplace, this meat that had been sacrificed to an idol. He says, yeah, you can do that because idols are nothing. But if you're hurting your brother, you shouldn't do that. So in the same vein as these things, now he's saying, I can do a whole lot of things. I, the Apostle Paul, have a right to do a lot of things, but I have chosen to let myself be cheated for your sake. I have chosen to remain single. I've denied my right to be married for the sake of the gospel. I have rights to lots of things, but I've intentionally denied myself. I have set aside what I can do in favor of what I should do in order to love you well. That's what Paul says to the church that he loves in Corinth. 
In chapter 9, Paul offers himself as an example of this kind of selfless love that he has been promoting and preaching throughout this book and beyond. It is this argument that will eventually lead us to chapter 11, verse 1, where we read a well-known verse, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what we're warming up to, okay? So in verses 1 and 2, uh, Paul says, Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Now you ask some questions. Uh, you're not supposed to actually think about what the answer is. You should know the answer. Okay, these are the kinds of questions that the answer is yes every time. Why is Paul asking them in the first place? Because he's reminding the Corinthians that he can do a lot of things that he doesn't do. And look back at the last verse of chapter 8 for context. In chapter 8, verse 13, he says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So he's saying that he, Paul, is willing to avoid things that he has a perfect right to, that he might enjoy, for the sake of others. And he is willing to go without things that he enjoys out of love for other Christians. So now in chapter 9, he's saying, I could claim my rights. You realize that, don't you? I could say, well, I'm an apostle, capital A. It's on my name tag right here. Okay, I outrank you other little Christians. Like he could do that, I guess. He says, I can do what I want. I could say I am free, which of course he is. We believe that. But this isn't Paul's point. It's not his purpose. It's not his joy. In fact, now is a good time as any to be reminded of Paul's heart in all of this. When he talks about what he could do, and then what he does do, he is talking about sacrifice, yes, but not in a masochistic, pain for the sake of pain kind of way. That's not Christian suffering, actually. Jesus endured the cross and despised the shame for the joy that was set before him. And as Paul encourages the church to imitate him as he imitates Christ, he is inviting them, yes, to make sacrifices, to die to self, to take up their cross for the greater joy that is ahead. Paul talks about this kind of joy in many of his writings. He talks about things that God is preparing beforehand for those who love him. That any he, he says that the glories that are ahead, they're not even worth being compared with the troubles of this world. So here Paul isn't saying deny your rights because you should suffer. He's also not saying only deny your rights because, well, heaven is pretty good later. But he is saying, right, there's something, it's worth it. There are joys and treasures for you if you follow Christ in this path. The joy Paul sees as set before him is something in this world, in our timeline, to be experienced in this lifetime. Look at verse 18 to see where we're headed. It says, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. The joy for Paul is, is in preaching the gospel well. This goes back to his advice to those uh, he tells to you know, lay down their rights in earlier chapters, the two Christians bringing each other to court. It was better for them to let themselves be cheated because it is better to enjoy the unity that the gospel gives us. It's better. It's better for the meat eater to abstain because it is better to have fellowship with those in the church for you know, those who Christ died for. That's a good thing, and it's a treasure, and it's worth being treasured. Paul is going to list the things he has put aside and avoided, the rights that he has a perfect claim to but has intentionally laid down, 
because it is better, in his mind, to see the gospel realized perfectly without any stain of selfishness getting in the way. Paul craved heaven, and we should too, but that appetite for heaven isn't just for heaven in the long term. It's, it's for the taste of heaven in the short term. You know, we're told that the one is blessed who hungers and thirsts for righteousness. Jesus says that his bread, his sustenance, the thing that satisfied his cravings is to do the will of the Father. It's like, that's what I want to do. The mature believer in following Paul, the mature believer wants the pure and undefiled gospel to go forth in power because the mature believer knows that, when, that the gospel, it works. And when it works, it's good and beautiful and satisfying, ultimately satisfying, more than anything else this side of heaven. The mature believer who would follow Paul would hate to see that something in them, in their conduct, has hindered the reception of the gospel in any way, shape, or form. The idea that something you do could possibly make the eternal gospel that saves souls unpalatable to someone, that you would take the sweetest thing of the world and something in your life would make that thing seem bitter, is abhorrent. And you would gladly put aside certain behaviors or rights or preferences so that that gospel can always be at its sweetest, so that gospel can be most beautiful to the people who need it most. The thing that is most important to Paul is the health of the church, and the church is healthy when the gospel is clearly preached and gladly received and acted upon. And if there was a right Paul could cling to that would in any way hinder how the gospel was received, it's not worth it to him to hold on to that right. Remember, he says, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Now, in the first verses of chapter 9, Paul says, I want you to know I can do these things. I don't have to deny these things because, you know, when you sign up to be an apostle, you have the whole big list of things you're not allowed to do anymore. He says, no, I can do these things. I have rights. I am free. I'm, uh, but, but following Jesus for me, following Jesus is deciding to do what's best, not just doing what's allowed. So he says, I'm an apostle. I'm free. And in verse 2, he says, I'm an apostle especially to you. This is because Paul was essentially the church planter. He was the founding pastor of the church in Corinth. So even if there were some who might want to say, well, Paul's not an apostle because he's not one of the original 12. Paul says, okay, someone might say that, but you definitely can't say that because I was the apostle that brought the gospel to you. He calls them the seal of apostleship, his, his seal of apostleship. The church in Corinth affirmed Paul's calling. It affirmed his gifting. Now, the, the greater argument, as we've established, is this one of laying down your own rights in order to love those around you well. That's, if you want the moral of the story, that's, that's it. That's the theological lesson, the primacy of love over liberty. But Paul's not just writing moralisms. This is all very personal for him. He knows these people. He spent a year and a half of his life with these people, discipling them, leading them to the Lord. This isn't just a theological treatise. This is a letter to some friends that haven't been treating you very well. And remember, Paul loves the Corinthians, but as you can see in this passage, there's some tension here in this relationship, and it breaks through in verse 3. He says, my defense to those who examine me is this. The tone just changed, people. 
Uh, why would Paul need to offer a defense? Because apparently there were some in Corinth who had been making accusations that he needed to defend. They were questioning his authority. They were questioning his rights. They were questioning his apostleship. So in addition to telling the Corinthians the importance of considering each other and loving each other, there is this need for Paul to remind them of his own apostolic authority and what authority really looks like. Now, again, this isn't the main point, but it is a point. And when a letter is written between parties with a history, this kind of thing can pop up in unexpected places. So Paul says, this is what I would say to you guys who are questioning what Paul says. In verse 4, he says, do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife? As do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Okay, so this is reminding them of other areas that he's told them to lay down their, their rights, right? Eating and drinking was chapter 8. Marriage was chapter 7. And now, so that they can't say, well, Paul just doesn't want us to have any fun. Paul doesn't practice what he preaches. He's saying, I have lived this. I didn't have to because I have a right to eat what I want. I have a right to get married, just like all the other apostles have. I, I'm not, but I'm not living just according to my rights. I'm living for the gospel and for the love of the church. When he says, do we have no right to eat and drink? He's touching on the stuff that he talked about in chapter eight. He made it very, very clear that you do have a right to eat and drink. Paul said, what you eat doesn't commend you to God. You don't get any points in heaven for your diet. And what you don't eat, that doesn't commend you to God either. The food doesn't matter. Paul is very pro-liberty. Let no one judge you in matters of food and drink, Colossians 2. But when he asks them, don't I have a right to eat and drink? The obvious answer is yes, that has been established. But now they're all thinking back to when Paul was in town for those 18 months. And they realize, well, he didn't, he didn't eat food sacrificed to idols. He could, but he didn't. And he says, I could have. And when he says, don't I have a right to get married? He already told them in chapter 7 that it is not a sin to be married. That was actually kind of a little, a little problem in Corinth. They were thinking it was way more holy to be single, and this was hard on a lot of people. Uh, and, and Paul says, no, it's not a sin to be married. Right here, he makes it crystal clear that even the apostles have a right to be married. So Paul could be married, but they all know he wasn't. They all knew he was single. So why did Paul stay single? He told us in chapter 7 so that he could serve the Lord without any distraction. He laid down his rights for the sake of love, and with the hopes of a greater joy. Now from verse 6 to 18, the whole rest of the text for this morning, Paul goes into detail about another right, another liberty that he has intentionally laid aside. It's a privilege that he did without, and he's talking about being paid. This whole section is about how pastors and missionaries can get paid and should get paid for what they do. Really, that's what it's actually about. But it's an interesting place presented in an interesting, it's in an interesting place in the letter. It's presented in an interesting way because instead of saying, by the way, Corinthians, you need to pay your pastor or something like that. Paul is going to say, when I was with you, I could have been paid and I should have been paid but I didn't get paid because in this case, with the cultural, spiritual climate of what it was in Corinth when I was there, it would have been a hindrance to the gospel. It would not have been the most loving thing for me to do. Therefore, I went without pay for your sakes. You remember last week, if you can, we saw that there was, there was division 
because there were people who were clinging to their rights at the expense of others in the church. Paul here is going to say, if I behaved like you, then all of you would owe me 18 months wages, people. Oh, and this letter, this, stamps aren't free, okay? I'm sending it collect. And I, I spent a lot on, on quills and ink, and I'll include the receipts so you can reimburse me. Thank you very much. Paul, by showing them the things that he went without, is telling them each of you personally benefited from me laying down my rights. Now can you see how your church, the people that go to your church, can also benefit from you sacrificing your preferences, your, your rights, your privileges for the weaker brother. Now, hopefully they could see that this is the way to have a strong church. Hopefully the ones clinging to their own way could see that if others like Paul had behaved like they did, they would all be in a lot of trouble. Probably they wouldn't be saved in the first place. We all like it when others make sacrifices for us. We need to know that we're the ones called to be picking up the cross. Paul made sacrifices. He didn't eat the things that he could have eaten. He didn't get married. He didn't get paid. So in verses 6 and 7, he says, Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working? Whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who, t or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? So Paul and Barnabas had day jobs. Um, the Corinthians probably took this for granted, or what's worse, it seems like they expected Paul and Barnabas to go and support themselves. Well, other churches, you know, were supporting missionaries, supporting pastors. Paul writes about this in his other letters. The Corinthians was like, no, 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 no. You need to, you need to get a job. That seems like maybe the kind of the attitude that was there. Um, maybe they thought Paul didn't have a right to any of their money and that no missionary or pastor has a right to get paid because it's not real work. And after all, the real treasure's in heaven, right? Or maybe the friends you made along the way, something like that. Okay, Paul's saying, Barnabas and I have a right to quit our jobs and then be paid to be in full-time ministry. And by the way, you're the full-time ministry and you're kind of high maintenance. I think that's the way he's writing it right now, you know? Uh, and here's how this makes sense in, in, his, in his argument. Do soldiers get paid? The answer is yes. Do they go to a war, you know, and buy all their own ammunition and all their own things? No, no, they do not. When you plant a garden, do you eat the things that you grow? Yes. If you have a dairy cow, do you drink milk? Yeah, you do. Later in verse 13, he uses another comparison, that of priest. He says, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple? And those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar. So he just lists these jobs where the employees benefit from the work that they do. Uh, the priest would eat a portion of the sacrifice that was brought to the altar. And, and the bread of the presence inside the tabernacle or temple would be eaten by the priests every Sabbath. If you work at the temple, you get to eat temple food. All of these examples are there to show the Corinthians and us the very basic, very obvious rule that when you do a job, there is reimbursement. There, are, there is payment for the job that you do. All that should be common sense, should be obvious. Paul is very clear that he's not just talking about farmers and soldiers and priests. He's talking about missionaries and pastors. Verse 8, he says, Do I say these things as a mere man, or does not the law say the same also? Meaning, I'm going to back up this argument with Scripture, so watch out. Uh, verse 9 says, For it is written in the law of Moses, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. 
Is it oxen God is concerned about? Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt, this was written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. This is an interesting verse Paul brings up. It's uh, Deuteronomy 25, verse 4, and it is literally about oxen. So does God care about oxen? Actually, the answer is yes, Paul, he does. He wrote about him in his book. Um, but it's not the only reason for having that verse. One way grain was separated from its husk was to literally have a big, heavy animal walk over it a bunch of times. And while that animal was working, that animal would get hungry. And Deuteronomy 25 verse 4 says that when the animal is at work, you can't keep him from eating. That's the law. And Paul takes this verse and says, do you really think that the only lesson here is about farm animals? Or do you think that God cares maybe about people too? Now, Jesus takes this same argument um, when he heals on the Sabbath, he draws this connection of, you care about animals, why don't you start caring about people? He says, if your if you're, uh, donkey or something falls down into a ditch and it's Sabbath, are you going to help them? Are you going to help the animal that's in trouble? Yes, you would. Every single last one of you would help the animal in trouble. Well, here's a person who's in trouble. Which is more important? The animal had a right to the fruit of its labor. People do too. And as Paul puts it, you should have hope. Every person in every job should have the hope that what they're doing isn't entirely meaningless and isn't entirely without some rewards. You work, you get paid. It's that simple. But it's not that simple for some people because we get this idea that spiritual work should only have spiritual rewards. And Paul says, that's not the way any of this works, actually. Verse 11 he says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? The spiritual work that Paul has done has entitled him to benefit from material things. In fact, it's indicated in the way this sentence is structured that the material things are actually less valuable than the spiritual things from Paul's perspective. Uh, it's a simple thing that for all the high-value spiritual things that Paul has invested in them, he is repaid with simple temporal material things. That makes sense. If the, if the Corinthians knew their Bibles, they would have known that the Word of God, which Paul gave them, was more to be desired than gold. Yes, much fine gold. Psalm 19, verse 10. They would have known from Psalm 119, verse 127, that the psalmist says, Therefore I love your commandments more than gold. They would have known from Proverbs 11, verse 4, that righteousness is better than riches. They would have known from the rest of Proverbs that the wisdom and knowledge that comes from the fear of the Lord is better than gold and silver. So the Corinthians personally knew the apostle Peter, right? He was, he was one of their guys. And he wrote that faith is much more precious than gold that perishes. So when he says, I, the farmer, the spiritual farmer, have sown spiritual things, it's really not a big deal for me to reap material things. What he is saying is, I'm putting in a whole lot more here than I could possibly take out. Pay your pastors. Also, as your pastor, let me say, thanks for the job. Really appreciate it. Now, Paul is going to say he didn't take a check. He didn't. And we know from the book of Acts that when he was in Corinth, he, he set up a shop. He, he was self-employed. He got a job with Priscilla and Aquila. They were trained in the same trade as Paul. They were tent makers, which really could just mean canvas and leather work, anything you can do with canvas and leather, okay? But they, they, had, uh, they made tents and other things. And we use this vocabulary, tent making, to mean anyone in ministry who is bivocational, okay? They're, they're a missionary, and they support themselves with work 
in a normal job. They're a pastor and they have a job outside the church. Now, there's certainly nothing wrong with that, as Paul is a clear example. There's no sin in working outside the ministry, but it is not to be seen as an equally valid or um, the, the normal way of doing things. According to Paul, it is not the best scenario in most cases. The one who works should be paid for their work. Now, Paul works. He got his job working with leather, working with canvas, because he determined that to take a paycheck, it would hinder the gospel. Look at the second half of verse 12. He says, Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder, hinder the gospel of Christ. But if the Corinthians were in a better place, Paul not only could have drawn a paycheck, it seems like he probably should have. He doesn't say you don't have to muzzle the ox or that soldiers don't have to fight at their own expense. All the examples are imperatives. They're the rules, not just the options. And if you look at verse 14, he says, Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. Paul's tent-making career is the exception that proves the rule. The rule is verse 14. The way it's supposed to be is if you're in ministry full-time, you get paid to do ministry full-time. Now, it's, it's still not a rule with some flexibility. We've been covering subjects for the past several weeks that take an issue that many think should be black and white and is instead this lovely shade of gray. And there's issues where we want law and the Corinthians ask for law and Paul says, you need wisdom instead. You know, get married or stay single. Well, depends. Do I eat the meat or do I not eat the meat? I need the rule. And he says, well, that, that, that depends. Should a pastor or missionary be paid? Well, it depends. <laughs> In each of these situations, if the answer, the answer is yes, if. <laughs> Since Paul is addressing people that do not want to have to say no to something they'd rather say yes to, he is showing them his own life and how he has lived in a disciplined manner for the sake of the gospel. Because there were those who would say, because I don't have to deny myself in this area, I refuse to deny myself in this area. Paul stands up in stark contrast to all of this selfishness. And he says, well, as he'll say at the end of chapter 12, I'll show you a better way. There's a more excellent way than the way you're doing it. The reason he spends this much time on how pastors should be paid, it's not to beg, and he makes that very clear. It's also not to make them feel bad enough to take up a collection or something. When Paul wants a collection, he just asks. We have that in his letters to the Corinthians saying, hey, Sunday, put all your money together. We need it for the poor people. Like he could just ask. Paul is not afraid of that at all. But he's not doing that here. Um, he's not saying, I really want you to feel bad that I had to get that second job and work nights and weekends. That's not what Paul is doing. He's not even giving them credit or blame. He's saying, you guys didn't pay me. Or sorry, excuse me. He's not saying, well, you guys didn't pay me. He's saying, that was my choice. I chose to refuse to be paid, actually. I could have sent you a bill. Maybe there are some of you that wanted to pay me. And that sure looked like a bribe to me. And so, no, I didn't. Okay? These are Corinthians that care about power struggles. And they want their clubs. And they want things like, yeah, okay, let's finance Paul. Because then we can have this Paul and Apollos thing so he's like, no, I'm just, this is going to hinder the gospel. Paul could have been paid for his work. He didn't receive a check. Why? The short answer is in the second half of verse 12. The long answer is verses 15 through 18. We'll do 12 first. It says second half of verse 12. Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. That's the reason. Do you remember when we were in chapter 1 and chapter 2, and we were talking about the Corinthians' idea of wisdom? 
and sophistication. They were all really impressed with people who used big fancy words and talked real smart. And there were people in Corinth at this time that would be paid by their disciples to teach their students how to sound smart and win arguments. These were the, the sophists, okay? They were a group of people who the Corinthians admired like celebrities and Paul, man, he could not stand these guys. These guys would take your money and then impress you with a fancy speech. And, and they were the reason why Paul says, you know, I'm going to show up and I'm just going to talk about the cross, be a fool and not get paid because I do not want to look anything like that guy. Because <laughs> the culture of preaching in Corinth was inextricably tied with the culture of greed financial and spiritual abuse by all kinds of these, these predators. And Paul knew that he could not tie the gospel to that kind of thing. He couldn't do it and he wouldn't do it. So he refrains from being paid so that no one would ever disdain the gospel because it was presented in the same way as the sophists presented their message. If Paul came in and looked just like the false teachers and used the false teachers' strategies, then the message Paul was bringing would be damaged. People would be able to say, well, he's in it for the money. And even though that wouldn't have been true, it wasn't worth it to Paul. This is the same as the food sacrifice to idols issue, right? There were people in the church that would see a Christian maybe buying meat that had been sacrificed to an idol, and they would say, well, I guess that guy that I go to church with is okay having fellowship with demons, and if it's okay with him, well, then I guess it's okay with me. So I'll be the kind of Christian that also worships idols. All of that's nonsense. All of that is a bad argument based on faulty information. And Paul says, doesn't matter. If what I eat causes someone to stumble, no matter how dumb he is, I will never eat meat again. Paul was willing to do whatever it takes to ensure that the gospel is unhindered. Now, for the longer explanation, verse 15, he says, But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. So that's where he says, I didn't exercise my rights. And I'm also not talking about this just so that you can pay me for something. That is not why I'm writing you this letter. For it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. Now, that seems a bit extreme, doesn't it? Rather die, really? Okay. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. What is this boasting? What's he talking about? I think it's the same as his reward in verse 18. He says, what is my reward then? If it's not preaching the gospel, what's my reward? He says that I preach it right. That I preach it well. The message is flawless. But when it's in my hands, I could present it one way or the other. And I'm responsible for how the gospel that I present is perceived. Not received, that's the Holy Spirit's work in the hearts of others, but you do have authority in a way of how the gospel you present is perceived. When he says that if he preaches the gospel, he has nothing to boast of, but then he worries about making his boasting void, that can be kind of confusing, but he clarifies that his reward is not just that he preaches the gospel. His reward is that he preaches the gospel in the right way. Now, all this talk about that we've been, you know, dwelling in for the last several weeks, all this talk about laying down rights, of doing what needs to be done for the sake of the gospel, even and especially if this means doing something uncomfortable. Remember, all this is leading up to Paul's line in 11 verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. 
He's saying the goal here is to look like Jesus. The path we're walking on is one that he's already walked on. This is all what it is to live the life of Christ. The only reason Paul brings his own story into this is that he sees his own life as a representation of Christ. It is Paul who writes, for me to live is Christ, right? He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So we're asked to imitate Paul only in as much as Paul shows us what living as a Christian looks like. This is what it looks like. Paul denied his right to be supported so that the gospel could thrive in Corinth. He's asking the Corinthians to also now deny themselves, take up their crosses, and follow Christ. Paul denied himself for the sake of the church. Did Jesus deny any rights for the sake of the church? Uh, yeah, Paul didn't invent this, this game. <laughs> Paul will remind the Corinthians in his next letter, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That was the perspective that all of this is written from, that was the, that was, and that was written from the perspective of personal experience for Paul. Paul knew that this life of considering others as better than yourself was the life of Christ. This is what Jesus did for him. That the mind of Christ, which Paul tells the Corinthians in chapter 1, you have the mind of Christ. That mind of Christ is a mind of humility. As Paul writes in Philippians 2, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. That looks like a laying down of rights, doesn't it? He was taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. The most free person behaved like a servant. This is where Paul got it from. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Paul isn't just leading the Corinthians towards better manners when he says, you know, let yourself be cheated or consider the gospel before you consider yourself or consider the weaker brother before you make your decision here at the grocery store. He's not saying, I wish you guys could just get along because I would be able to write shorter letters then. He's, that's not his point. His point is leading them to the cross. He's leading them to Jesus Christ. This shouldn't be a surprise. It's been here since chapter one when Paul says, I've determined to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified. So don't be surprised when we start talking about crucifixion. Now he's been leading the Corinthians through their specific problems and issues. Each time he takes their problem as an opportunity to lead them on the straight and narrow path that leads to life, the path that Jesus takes, the way of the cross. The gospel message is that Jesus, who is God, laid aside his privilege and his riches and his deity, or at least the... Um, you know, the, the rights that come with deity for the sake of his weaker brethren, you and me. And to the spiritual awareness of these opportunities of laying aside our rights and our privileges and things for the sake of the gospel, I want to be like Paul in that. But more, I, I want to follow his heart to, to that place where I, I know and believe that the gospel is completely worth it. I want you to scan down to a verse we'll be studying next week in verse 23. He says, Now this I do for the gospel's sake, that I may be partaker of it with you. 
He says, all of this is worth it because when the gospel is working, when the gospel is alive and functioning in the church as it ought to, those I get to partake of it with you. And we as a church collectively get to enjoy and rejoice in the beautiful fruits of the gospel, the love of God itself. And so I, I want... I want all of us, of course, to follow Paul to this place where we're thinking like this, but I also want to follow Paul to the place where I'm worshiping like this, where when I say you're worthy of it all, I mean it. You know what I mean? Like where he is leading us is, yes, it's, it's to a place where we're, we're willing to prefer another person above ourselves. We should all do that. But having that behavior without the behavior of I want to be with Jesus and like Jesus and enjoy Jesus then you have good manners, but not worship. Let's, let's develop the heart attitude of seeing that Christ is supremely worthy of all that we have, including the things we can do, but probably shouldn't. Let's pray. Jesus, you are worthy of it all. We worship you. We love you. We ask that you would bless our church with this grace, um, that you would bless our church with uh, with, with this ability to see you as supremely gl glorious, supremely worthy, that there is no thing that we could lay down that would put a dent in this, this treasure um, that is ours in the gospel of Jesus. Bless us with this awareness. Let us be a people that love well. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Please stand. Mm. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Are sent. Thank you. Thank you. Preach the gospel. You're welcome.